I'm Mary Worden, and this is Premier Health Now On Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. This is the week of September 21st, 2020. If you're listening to this, while I hope people from all over the place are tuning in, you probably live in or have ties to Ohio. And if you haven't gotten the cues from the absolutely gorgeous local weather we've been having over the last couple of weeks, this week marks the end of summer and the beginning of fall. And I would argue that this is the most beautiful time of year to be in Ohio. Nature is ready for her close-up, guys. There are colorful flowers, bright pumpkins, the leaves are vibrant, and even the sunsets seem a little prettier as we head into autumn. And every year when summer meets fall, we have to start mixing things up. I'm opting for hot drinks any time of day because it beats cold options right now and it helps keep me feel warm. Even decor is mixing it up with pumpkins and moms pretty much everywhere you go. And my wardrobe is shifting to pants, sweaters, jackets. And that's great for these chilly mornings and evenings, but not amazing when we briefly shift back into summer temps for a few hours in the afternoons. So, Ohio pro tip, layer up, guys. Layer up. But back to that charming meetup of summer and fall, it got me thinking about some of the other encounters that 2020 has brought us. Closets and garages transformed into backstock for many of us, with a full inventory of toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and cleaning wipes. Politics briefly encountered the music industry when Kanye West announced his presidential bid and then promptly dropped out of the race. Living rooms, kitchen counters, couches, and basically anywhere that made sense at home converted into virtual offices. And let me remind you that 2020 also gave us the combination of killers and flying bugs and the infamous murder hornet. What a year. And we all need to be prepared for another upcoming meetup. Currently, COVID-19 is here and we don't know when we can expect any change there. But in the next couple of weeks, flu season will be back. With overlapping symptoms and overall uncharted territory, I have a lot of questions. This week, I'm reaching out to infectious disease physician and the medical director of infection control for Miami Valley Hospital, Dr. Steve Burdett. Dr. Burdett, with a few months of this pandemic under our belts, we've seen it all. Surgical masks, N95 respirators, homemade masks, bandanas, and even plastic face shields. There are a lot of options, so which masks are the most effective at preventing the spread and contraction of COVID-19 and why? Yeah, so the medical-grade masks are the most effective, but obviously those are not available to everybody. Um, The least effective are the cloth masks, things such as the gator actually has had a lot of discussion and that just doesn't filter out as much virus as something that's a little thicker Um, medical grade. Anything that has a filter in it will also give an extra advantage. So many of the cloth masks in between the two layers of cloth, there's an area where you can insert a filter, which could be something from a vacuum cleaner bag to a furnace filter to a coffee filter. There's all sorts of different things that are utilized in some of the cloth masks. But a simple gaiter or a simple scarf would be the least the most protected is an N95. 
Now, you don't need an N95. I mean, I go in COVID rooms on an almost daily basis. When we're done with this podcast, I will be in several COVID rooms, and I will just have a regular made, regular medical-grade mask on. I will not have an N95. Um, but if you have one, it is going to give you excellent um, protection. What are the proper steps for cleaning a reusable mask? Yeah, so a cloth mask, you know, if you wear it throughout the day, that really should be washed on a daily basis. If you wear it for five minutes when you run into the grocery store, I don't think you need to wash it in that situation. So therefore, because you've got to wash them so frequently, you really should have several cloth masks available to you. And honestly, this far into the uh, pandemic, the masks are not going away. Um, so you probably need to have a spare in your car. You need to have a spare in your you know, different places because it never fails. You get in your car and you're driving to the grocery store and you realize you left your mask at home. So I have disposable masks that I keep in my glove compartment. And if I forget my mask, then I can just reach in, grab one, and then get rid of it. As far as cleaning otherwise, um, again, an N95 that many folks are wearing, not necessarily a medical grade N95, but a N95 that's used for industrial work and things like that. You know, you just want to make sure that you have a good, you know, you can, there's not a lot of cleaning that you can do. I'm not a big endorser in terms of putting it into a, uh, a microwave or anything like that. If you happen to have an ultraviolet light that you use for other things, that would be reasonable. Many of them, you really can't even take a wipe and wipe them down because it's because of the material that it's made of. So if they start fitting loose, if they start getting dirty, you know, they're now they were white and now they're brown because of dirt stains and things like that. I would just discard them and get a new one. We're far enough into this now that there really is not a shortage at nearly as much so of masks. So a replacement should be available. From a, you know, a medical grade mask like I wear, those are really meant to be worn for one day and then thrown away. Those are not meant to be worn, you know, repeatedly. So cloth daily if you're wearing it a lot, medical grade, one and done. The N95 types, again, once they start getting loose, once they start getting a little dirty, um, discard them and just get a new one. I don't think that trying to process them at this point with the availability. I don't think that processing them to get them cleaned is, is really the way to go. While most people are probably familiar with the common suggestions to stay safe from COVID-19, such as social distancing and washing your hands, do you have any other suggestions for people that might not be as commonly shared to help remain COVID-19 free? I'm a big believer in the masking. Again, when have our rates gone down here in Ohio? It's once more masking was available. Again, in July in the hospital, our numbers were through the roof. And then once there was not a big fan of mandates myself, but once you were required to wear them out, it definitely impacted the number of cases that we saw. The social distancing absolutely works. But my big thing at this point, this far into it, um, is you just have to keep your guard up. And so Yes, we none of us want to social distance. None of us want to wear a mask out in public. But as soon as you let your guard down and you think, oh, I'm going to go to this party on Friday night. And yeah, there's going to be 50 people there, but nobody's going to have COVID. Well, you know what? Somebody's going to have COVID. And what we've learned with some of the local outbreaks is this virus is so contagious that if you are not wearing your mask, if you are not practicing social distancing and somebody has the virus, you're going to get it. It's 
not like it's a one in a hundred chance. There's a really good chance, you know, more than 50, 50 that you're going to get it. If you're at this party, if you're at the social gathering and somebody has COVID and you are not following the guidelines. So I just encourage folks, no fancy tricks, you know, nothing. You don't need to leave your mail on the mailbox for three days. All that stuff is gone. But what we have to do as much as it sucks is we have to keep our guard up. We have to keep social distancing. We have to wear our masks and it does work. It's just that it's really hard as a human being to do that seven days a week. Are you seeing that symptoms are just as strong in patients now from when the disease first surfaced, or does it seem like symptoms are starting to lessen in patients that you've recently seen? You know, that's a very good question because in the middle of May, you know, April was rough. There was a lot of sickness with April. May, we didn't see as nearly as as severe of cases. And I thought maybe there had something had changed with the virus. It wasn't quite as virulent because this virus is the craziest thing because I've never seen an infection to where so many folks are asymptomatic, but clearly contagious. I mean, they're infected, but they just have no symptoms. To people who are on the ventilator, just fighting for their lives and some of them don't make it. You know, people get, you know, obviously we're going to talk about flu. People get influenza and they're sick for three to five days. Some of them do die, but they all have symptoms. You almost never, ever see an asymptomatic person with influenza. We see dozens of people almost every day who get tested coming into the hospital who have COVID and have no signs or symptoms. So you've got this whole breadth of the disease or the virus and the kind of manifestations that it has. But in general, here lately, you know, August, especially late July, we were seeing just as severe of illness as we were back in April. So that middle of the pandemic, when I thought maybe we were getting a strain that was not as virulent, that's no longer the case. And again, we those people that are going to get sick, um, they can get really sick from this virus. That's very interesting. And maybe this was simply wishful thinking on my part, but it seems to be a commonly shared idea, not fact, but idea that symptoms were beginning to be a little bit less severe than when COVID-19 first showed up in the U.S. So there is some truth to that because you look at some countries like South Korea did not have nearly the severity of the disease because they did have a strain of COVID that was not as virulent. The last time I checked, there was about 13 different clades, slightly different variations of COVID. A lot of them were very geographical. So there is some truth to that, but that's not what we have seen. I think what's happening, though, is because we now have so much more availability of testing, we're doing a lot more testing. We're doing a lot more asymptomatic testing. So you're hearing about Bill and Sally and whoever who have no symptoms who test positive Versus in April, we were trying to conserve our tests and only testing the sick ones. And therefore, we were only finding the sickest of the of the sick. So I think that impression is more just because of the availability of testing. I mean, a few weeks ago, Premier Health was doing 1,400 COVID tests per day. So that's versus in um, April, we had... Um, 700 tests for the system for the entire month. So we had to be very selective in who to test. Now we could test twice that many people in a 24-hour period. That's going to skew the, the impression of what's going on with the infection. 
We've talked a little bit about parties, but the holidays are right around the corner. Can you share your thoughts with us about people who usually travel around the holidays, holiday gatherings, and what people should expect this year? People are not going to like this, but um, I see a Zoom, a Zoom Christmas. You know, you could probably do something with, you know, a very small one or two people. Because um, obviously, come to come December and Thanksgiving with Christmas and with Thanksgiving and then the other holidays, um, it's gonna be very hard to do those outside in Dayton, Ohio. And I do not. I still at this point now maybe things will change by December. I doubt it. But if things change, then maybe you could have a normal forty-person Christmas or thirty-person Thanksgiving. But I don't see that happening. And again, those are the perfect settings. Our numbers the last few days have gone up. Why? Because of Labor Day. And there were social gatherings at Labor Day. And so I would expect that to be even worse come Thanksgiving or Christmas or any of the other holidays, um, Hanukkah and whatnot, because it's all going to be indoors. And unless you can socially distance and wear your mask, but again, you're gathering around a table to celebrate and you're eating, it's very hard to mask and control that. So I see a Zoom Thanksgiving. I see a Zoom Christmas, a Zoom Hanukkah. Um, I see a lot of those really needing to be remote. And if they are in person, I would expect to see a, um, I would hate to say this, but I would expect, expect to see a significant spike in cases. While you absorb the idea of having your family's holiday dinner via video chat, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about 2020 when COVID-19 and flu season collide. We know getting care comes with a little uncertainty right now, but behind these masks, you'll find unwavering dedication, compassion, and protection for you and the care we provide to you. You won't find us backing down. We won't stop. As long as you need us, we'll be here standing strong because it's who we are and care is behind everything we do. Our care lives here. Premier Health. And we're back. As if the COVID-19 pandemic hasn't been scary enough, the flu season is not far away. Dr. Burdett, I'm never exactly sure when flu season kicks off. Are we in flu season now? No, we've not seen any flu yet. We usually don't see flu in Dayton, Ohio. Um, usually it's not till at the earliest November. Um, you might get an occasional straggler um, in October, but almost always it's kind of around the Thanksgiving window and then going going back. Again, hard to predict. Every year is a little different. My hope is that with the universal masking or the much more masking that is going on out in public, that it will help with the uh, um, with the rates of uh, of um, influenza this year. That's a great point. And while we're all wearing masks, socially distancing, and washing our hands possibly more than ever before, do you have any additional thoughts on the severity of this flu season and what can we do to prepare? The big challenge is there is overlap in the symptoms. They are not the same. You know, influenza is very sudden onset. You can tell that at 12.02 on Tuesday, I got sick with influenza, high fevers, body aches. COVID's much more, you know, much more gradual in uh, in its nature. Um, you know, the big concern in the hospital is, you know, the isolation practices are a little bit different. The treatments are a little bit different. 
Um, the risk to staff is a little bit different. Key to controlling the dual flu slash COVID season is going to be on our end having good diagnostic testing. And so we've got to have rapid tests that will differentiate influenza from COVID. Um, from a patient's standpoint, it's getting vaccinated. Again, um, always a hot topic. I'm a big believer in the influenza vaccine. Is it perfect? No, there is no perfect flu shot. But the numbers you know, vary every year from 40 to 60% efficacy. But every year I see countless people who get influenza, who had their flu shot, and they're better and out of the hospital in two days versus the person who didn't get the flu shot ends up spending a week, sometimes 10 days in the intensive care unit. You don't usually see that with influenza in the vaccinated. Again, anything can happen, but I see a much quicker clinical response in general to those people who get flu after they've had the flu shot. Um, so we'll need, when it gets to that time, it is gonna be imperative on the, on the patients when they get sick to touch base with their providers. And then it will be up to the providers to, again, have access to the testing and to work on the clinical, you know, evaluation of these folks so that we can figure out who needs treated for flu, who needs treated for non-influenza type stuff. I do worry. Um, I really do worry about just the healthcare system in general with the numbers that that could be seen because our hospitals are full um, every flu season just from the flu. And then you throw on the COVID, you know, cases, um, we really need folks to, you know, get their flu shots, wear their masks. Again, both viruses are spread very similarly. So you should get benefit for preventing influenza as well as for COVID with good masking, good social distancing. Um, and then like you said earlier, washing your hands. If someone gets the flu shot early, how long is it effective and will it wear off before the flu season is over? Yeah, good question. That's a hot topic every year, at least the last few years it's been, because there is a theoretical waning in the antibody levels that you get as your response to the vaccine. Um, but that is pretty common for our immune system. When our body is not being exposed to something, it, start, it doesn't make the immune cells that it needs to to fight that because it's not being exposed. Um, there was a push a few years ago. We always used to vaccinate in October. There was a push a few years ago to do it in early September, sometimes even as late as August. Um, since we don't see significant numbers of influenza in early October, and it takes about two weeks to respond to the flu shot, to have the antibodies, to develop the immunity from the shot. It doesn't happen within 24 hours. I actually recommend myself to my patients to get it at the end of September, the first part of October. I don't want them to get it in August. Again, the shot is now available many times, the third or so week of August. That's too early. Because um, we have a greater likelihood of having a flu epidemic in March than we do in having it in October. And I want people to have the highest antibody levels as possible. So I tell folks again, end of September, first part of October, that's plenty of time for the vaccine to kick in before we start seeing clinically significant numbers of influenza. And what is the latest time frame that you typically would see flu cases? So it usually is end of end of March. Once it starts getting warmer outside, then the, the flu virus is not as, as hardy. You know, COVID is frustrating because I really was praying that the warm weather would help decrease COVID. Well, the, it did nothing. 
again, this thing will still spread in the summer months. Influenza does not do that. It's not hardy when it gets warm out. Um, so, you know, last year when, when actually, when we started working up patients for COVID, our first handful that really looked like COVID were actually H1N1 influenza A. And they were really sick. And that was, you know, March 15th through the 21st. Um, it was kind of a late season. But once you get into April, you I can't remember the last time we saw issues that late. But again, it all depends on the weather and what's going on. And if it's a cold winter and it's, and it's a cold spring, that could allow flu to potentially drag out a little longer. While we've covered some of the features of both, can you give us a quick rundown of the similarities and differences between flu and COVID-19? Yeah, so influenza almost always is sudden onset. I had my influenza in, uh, it was probably March of 2011. And I can tell you that where I was, where I was sitting in the restaurant and exactly what time it, it hit me. And there was no symptoms. I felt okay going in to eat and almost had to be carried out of the restaurant. Um, COVID, much more gradual. COVID, loss of taste, significant amount of folks will have some loose stools and some diarrhea, and then some sore throat, cough, and then just much more gradual progression of the symptoms. The number one thing that they all notice is loss of taste, and I shouldn't say they all, but a lot of folks notice is loss of taste and smell. That is a very significant kind of finding that we're noticing. Influenza, again, can give you the cough like you can get with COVID. Some people do get diarrhea, but influenza tends to give you just horrendous body aches. I mean, every single muscle in your body hurts. My case is when I've had influenza, again, you can barely even get up off the couch because your muscles just hurt. I've seen that in a couple of COVID patients, but I have not seen it in many. So gradual onset with COVID, smell issues with COVID, more mild symptoms with COVID early on and then progressive. Influenza, thunderclap, sudden onset for almost everybody. Dr. Burdett, you've updated us on when someone would become aware of being sick with either the flu or COVID-19, but when would someone become contagious with either case and how long would they remain contagious? Good question. So influenza is 24 hours before the onset of symptoms and then seven days after the onset of symptoms. Okay. So influenza is pretty, pretty clear. Um, pretty easy. In the hospital, we keep in isolation for a week, and once they're at day seven, they come out of isolation. COVID is much more challenging because of the number of folks who are asymptomatic, and those folks, and the question is always, are you asymptomatic or are you pre-symptomatic, meaning you're going to get symptoms, it's just too early on in the course. Um, you are typically contagious for several days before the onset of symptoms. And again, the challenge there is we don't know if it's, you know, were your symptoms at day five or your symptoms at day two after the infection. We usually, from a epidemiologic or medically, we usually look back about 48 hours once somebody is diagnosed to see who they were around. If you are infected, you are contagious for 10 days, okay? if you're a normal, healthy, otherwise, you know, no medical issue person. If you are in an intensive care unit, if you are a transplant patient with COVID, you might be 
and contagious for up to 20 days. But the longest the live virus has been found is for 20 days in the worst people. So that's the longest that we keep anybody in isolation is 20, you know, is 20 days. Um, everybody else, it's 10 days, either from the onset of your symptoms, or if you're asymptomatic, you're considered contagious for 10 days from the date of your test. Now that is tough for the asymptomatic because you just have no idea where they are in their disease course, but we got to have something that's black and white in terms of picking start and stop dates for quarantine and isolation. Um, and so that's why it's 10 days after you're confirmed. If you're exposed and we don't know what's going to happen, whether you're going to become infected or not, the quarantine is 14 days because that's the latest that it has been found to occur after an exposure. Hopefully more data will come out and allow us to shorten that quarantine to a shorter period. Like with influenza, if you're going to develop symptoms, it's usually two to five days after the exposure. So hopefully in time we can shorten that quarantine period down with COVID. Uh, but for now, you're contagious for at least 10 days. Most folks, 10 days. Rare person, longer. Influenza, seven days. What are your recommendations for the steps someone should take if they think they have either the flu or COVID-19? You know, there's not a lot of good things that have come out of COVID, but one thing that has is the, the advancement of telemedicine. So it's pretty easy to, um, to be seen by a medical provider um, without too much exposure to other folks. So, you know, if you've been sick for 10 minutes, I probably would wait and kind of see. Now, again, if it's 10 minutes of chest pain, 10 minutes of some severe life-threatening symptom, you know, that's different. But if you just got a little bit of a scratchy throat and you're not sure if, you know, what's going on, watch it for a little bit. But as we get closer to this, if you start having shortness of breath, if you start having fever, if you start having, you know, significant sore throat, you know, any of these manifestations, you know, it is probably worthwhile to reach out to your healthcare provider. Many of them will be able to set up a telemedicine visit. You can see somebody face to face and figure out, again, what testing, if any, is needed. Again, every case is a little different. Sometimes we will test, sometimes we will not test. You know, it's much more readily available to get a COVID test now. If you want it and you have symptoms, we can get people tested, um, not an issue. But again, I would just encourage folks to reach out to their providers. And I want folks to be comfortable with telemedicine. I've been doing it now for several months. And is it quite as good as the in-person? No, but there are major advantages to telemedicine um, as well. And for many of the evaluations of a sore throat or evaluations of a fever or the type of symptoms that could occur with influenza or with COVID, you can get more than enough information from a telemedicine evaluation. That is a great tip. Dr. Burdett, what's one last takeaway you'd like to leave our listeners with about this pandemic? I, I tell folks all the time, I am the first to say that masking sucks. I would love to not mask. I pray that someday we don't have to mask. I hope this is not the new norm, okay? But for 2020, it is. We have to socially distance. We have to wear our masks. And this virus is controllable. And until the vaccine is available, we don't all have to get sick if we do those things. But people think that, oh, it's not going to get me and I don't believe it. Well, having spent months now in the COVID unit and having taken care of hundreds of patients, this thing is 100% real. It is 100% different than anything, any other infection that I have dealt with. 
And I do need folks to just wear their mask. Again, they're all getting, everybody's getting sick of hearing it, but it works. Why does, why does our, our rates of hospital infection so low? Because we wear masks and we socially distance. When you do things right, you dramatically decrease your rates of your risk for getting infected, but just don't let your guard down. That one family gathering where you have 30 people get together, again, it's still nice out. You can do it outside, but you got a mask and you got a distance. So just keep your guard up. Thank you so much, Dr. Burdett. This year has been tough, weird, not great. Make the time to create your own positive meetups with the things that matter to you. Schedule time to meet with a local nonprofit to safely volunteer your time. Get together with an online instructor who can teach you a new skill over a video meeting. Tackle a project with your spouse that you've been wanting to complete at home so you can make that to do a to done. Whatever it is that's important to you, find a creative and safe way to build positive relationships in 2020. You can get more information 24-7 at premierhealth.com slash COVID-19. This has been Premier Health Now On Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. Our care lives here.